And we're back in progress at our new building. We're really starting to move things along. And uh, that whole building, I think, is sort of a, it's been sort of a thing with me. Uh, no comments. Anyway. You know, I think uh, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, Al brought this thing, this, and I heard it with other pe- people as well, that the year 20, 2020, marked uh, the changing of chronos. Uh, every 40 years or so, there is a, a change in 40-year generational time frames. And uh, the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was a huge one. It happened on the first day of the 20th century. And so, uh, you know, for, for 15 or more centuries, it had been pretty dormant. You didn't see, it's not that he wasn't here, he's always been here. I mean, from the creation. The Bible says the Spirit of God hovered over the creation. Pardon me. But, uh, as far as his ministry, like it should have been the way it started in the book of Acts. I mean, my Lord, you talking about showing you the pattern. On the day of Pentecost, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. The church was born. Uh, they began to speak with tongues and other languages. And what the people, there was over a million people in Jerusalem that day because it was the day of Pentecost. From all countries, Jews who had been dispersed all came back for these, these holidays. And so there was over a million Jews in that city that day. And they had all learned other languages, you know, wherever they went to live. That day, they heard these guys come rolling out of that upper room. Every one of them speaking in tongues. And what that was to the people from other nations, they all said this. We hear in our own language, in other words, not Hebrew or Greek or whatever, but in our own language, we hear these people speak about the wonderful works of God. That's what keyed the whole church. Can you believe that? What were they talking about? The wonderful works of God. And so that day, 3,000 people got saved. The church was born. And that was a, a demonstration of God on how it was supposed to do. The Holy Spirit taking precedence now. He reveals Jesus. He reveals the Father's will. But Jesus said, it's, it's, it's better for you when he walked this earth for me, <coughs> excuse me, for me to leave. Cause if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. I'll tell you something right there. But when I go, I'm going to send them to you. And he's going to do everything. Everything that Jesus did, he's going to do it everywhere. He won't be relegated to one spot. He'd be all over the world. So all that he does was shown to us at that time. And then from that time, especially when the apostles begin to die out, there's been this pushback by the devil to, to quench the Holy Spirit. Trust me on that. And he's been good at it. And there's various ways. I mean, he, he, he sows doubt. The, 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 the ministry of the Holy Spirit, folks, you do realize it's kind of crazy, don't you? If you ever speak in tongues, the first thing you gotta get over is you. Right? It sounds silly, or whatever word you want to put on it. And so, uh, you know, we, we try to define it with mental things. Well, it's got to be a certain way. Really. You, you're the one that defines what the Holy Spirit should do. I did. 
I mean, I did. And, and we tried, they tried to kill it with doctrine. Come up with doctrine and, 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 and fill it into the body of Christ that, oh, that was only for a certain amount of time. And then that was it. Well, who came up with that one? It's never written that way. They try to twist some scriptures and make it say that, but it never says that, folks. It's not in the Bible. All right? So, but that's the devil. And if you were the general of, of, the, of the enemy's army, would you want to defeat the very, the very thing that's the most powerful thing in the other guy's army? And Jesus said this, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then you know the kingdom of God is coming to you. He is the power of God. So would you want to take his ministry off the table? He's the one that cast out demons. So it's been a fight from the get-go to get the Holy Spirit off the table. Because if you get the most powerful thing off the table, you can win. But at the first day of the 20th century, here it came back in a place called Topeka, Kansas. And, and I've, I've shared that story many times. That that's the roots of this church. This is a spirit-filled church. And that's where it started. Every 40 years, there's been another 40-year chronos, times and seasons. Chronos, times. And a new wave of the Holy Spirit came in with new leaders. So, But each one of them had a manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. Healings. All kinds of miracles. Okay, that's what they were noted for. The year 2020 marks another chronos. Okay, are y'all with me? What a deal. And the Lord told me a few years back, there's going to be another outpouring like the book of Acts, except a little different. I think we're in it now. Okay? And so, for me, it, it all began... uh in Colorado Springs, Susan and I were up there in September. Of course, you know that the, the, biblical, the Hebrew year starts in Rosh Hashanah in September, usually October. So we were there, and uh, Al Houghton was putting together a new team of ministries that we hope at some point will lead us to D- Washington, D.C. And so uh, it may not. But I know this. That was God that did that. There was, what, 20 people there, 15, 20 people. Man, and every one of these guys were apostles or prophets. I mean, these guys brought the stuff. In fact, it was so strong that uh, the guys, some of you have seen some of the guys around here, we all felt like we didn't belong. Like, that was the first evidence today that this was God because the, the, the resistance to it was amazing. And every one of these guys felt the same way. Like, they're not worthy. And they were all leaders. And that's the first thing that we had to address is cast down that spirit that was trying to intimidate us. And he's done it like three different times he's done that with us. And finally, he ain't doing that no more. Okay, so because we finally broke through it. But we had to break through that thing. And we began to do some stuff, prayer, and manifestations of prayers, uh, the, 
the effect of those prayers, I think we have seen several. God began to move things big time with that group. Sounds good, huh? Except for (laughs) there was a lot of warfare that hit the fan too. Immediately. And so with that group, there has been many, many things that they have had to pay for what God is trying to birth. And I want to be talking about that for quite a while here. On December the 29th, actually I think God, what I've seen him do over the years is, is he will come twice in a year. He honors our beginning of the year. You know, January 1, he honors that as well. But he, you know, the real pop, the really announcement of the year is usually at Rosh Hashanah, September-ish. But he will come back in January and, and like give a little boost to, to reinforce, this is what I'm doing. And I, he did that again this year. And so on December the 29th, uh, which was a Sunday, I had a dream that morning. Right before I woke up, I had this dream. And it was what I just described here before. I saw all these people, you guys, just like it was in the book of Acts. And all I heard was that these people speaking, get this, about the wonderful works of God. Same thing. The wonderful works of God. And the Lord in the dream told me to tell the people over 50 that that's going to be the the hallmark of the next chronos so that you will have hope in your latter years. Tell them you have lived in the wilderness for 40 years, but that's over. And now we're changing, and you will be seeing the wonderful works of God. And he did say, because you have been faithful with him for all these years, now fullness can come. That's what I saw. Well, the then he gave me this prophetic word about the, what fullness looks like. And I'll, I'll be getting into that uh, more as we move on throughout the weeks. It's not a bunch of really good stuff. It's, I'll give you an example. You're going to see a bunch of people starting to rain. Do you know what goes with raining? Suffering. Alright? If you suffer with him, you will reign with him. We're going to see that. Here's another one. There will be hundredfold fruitfulness now. Full blast fruitfulness. With persecutions. Okay, so there's a bouncing. It's like a, a, a series of conflicts here. It's good and it's like, wow, I'm not sure. But that's going to happen, folks. Fullness is not Disneyland. All right, it's all the things of God, including the warfare. The good and the challenging. And I definitely have been seeing that. In fact, as soon as we got back, the first thing I hear is that there's a promise being laid before us. There might be another home for this church. As soon as I got back. And the explosion of testing and warfare over the three things that God told me to pray about people entering a promised land 40 years ago began to explode over relationships, finances, and in health. 
And some of you don't. Some of the challenges that have been going on in that area. And they are intense. They're amazing. Well, but I think it's on. One of the guys that was up there, this apostle guy, I'm, I assume that we call Russell an apostle. He's an English dude. I guess he's the first English guy I've ever really gotten to know. They're, uh, they're interesting people. And uh, kind of like y'all, y'all are interesting people. We used to call ourselves bozos. Interesting. Anyway, Russell Dubose is a, he's a very much of an intellect. Uh, very much of an intellect. And I'm, and I'm hard to really follow because he speaks proper English. With an accent. You know, it's not American at all. And so, but God, his writings are just incredibly deep. I mean, they are different. And uh, he was there. And there was another apostle there from Puerto Rico. His name is Hector Melendez. He's got, I don't know how many, I mean, 50 churches or some ridiculous number of churches that he has spawned off of his church. And he doesn't hover over them with another campus kind of thing. No, no, no. He lets them go. And he tries to support them as a father, not as a dictator or a lord. The guy's got the real business going. And he's the one that, that we, when we sent that money for the, the stuff at Puerto Rico, man, they were giving that water. You all see the things that they were giving away. They, they did a video. It blew me away. By the way, we sent $4,000 from you guys. Because it's real. There's no hype in this stuff. So the warfare of these people has been ridiculous. On the day that I'm getting this dream, this Russell Dubose is in the hospital almost dying. He had a major attack and he's got sepsis and major organs in his body were shutting down. That's death. That's a death blow right there. And he got this teaching the same time frame I'm getting the dream about the wonderful works of God coming to pass. And this word about what the kingdom is going to look like in his fullness with us. And his word went along with something that's been going on with me. So I'm going to do something with his permission. I'm going to do some team ministry and I'm going to do it all. I'm going to bring what he wrote and stuff that I got and bring it into one thing. Here's what he got during the same time frame of what I'm getting. Look to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. I know. (laughs) Right next door to our favorite psalm. 138. Now you remember when the Lord gave me all these words for 2020 and the chronos of this next period of time. That he's going to show fullness to those who have been faithful. And many of you are those people. If you're over 50, he told me to tell you to pray for a long rest of your life because it's going to be filled with these things that's going to happen. So you want to get a full taste of it. You younger ones don't have to be praying that. Just pray that you survive it all. But look at the caption on Psalm 138. The Lord's goodness to the faithful. 
So this message is to those who are faithful. And folks, let me tell you something about that. You either are or you're not. Don't kid yourself. All right? If you, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So either you're obeying God or you're not. Don't try to split hairs here. It ain't that hard. No amens. Okay. How would you measure faithfulness? If you were married to someone, how would you measure faithfulness with that person? You just think about that. How about separate bank accounts? Is that how you measure faithfulness? In other words, I'll keep my money and God, you can have yours. I love that old way of giving, you know, I'm going to throw this money up in the air and God, the ones that you want, let it stay in the air. I'll keep this part that hits the ground. It's time to quit being game players with God. Amen? That's one area of faithfulness. How about showing up? You want your, would you like to sleep with your spouse every night? Or the nights you're supposed to? Or would you rather them just go away for months at a time? Or weeks at a time? You get my point? It's time to quit playing games. Just be real. How about talking to each other? I could go on and on and on, couldn't I? Do you pray? Do you read his love letter to you all the time? It's called the Bible. Do you know what he said? And are, y'all, are y'all here? It's time to be real with God. You are his people. He's trying to form his bride. Let's get real time. This is the promise of the Lord's goodness to the faithful. And the part that this guy got was in verse 7 and 8. This is amazing. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Isn't that an amazing scripture? This guy's got sepsis. And the devil screaming at him, I'm killing you. No, in the midst of this trouble... You will revive me against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand will save me. And the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. You know, it's an amazing scripture that God says, Trouble and that thing which concerns me. Go together. What is the thing that concerns me? It was his calling and purpose for my life. It goes, the word perfect means literally God will finish what God starts. How many things in your life, folks, and this is where we're going to go today, that you know God started, but it's not finished. And maybe you've even lost hope over that thing or several of those things. But God will bring to a completion those things which he started in me, and it has something to do with trouble. Hard things coming. And I think that's what we're going to be seeing. Revive. Revive. So Russell began to look at this one thing in our software called Brown Driver Briggs, BDB. They are considered the pinnacle interpreter of Hebrew. BDB. 
And they took the word revive and he, and he, and he, uh, BDB applied it to several, um, variations of what, how that word works in us. And he listed several of them. And I want to go through a few of them with you. Okay. So here's revive us to those who walk in covenant with God is really what it's about. Those who are faithful. Number one, there's like seven of them. I'll give you one of them right now. It is the miraculous raising us up from a bad place. Like Psalm 138. I mean, that's the first one. You raise me up from a bad place. You revive me. Give me life. Here's another one. To revive us from sickness. Now, may I say that as soon as this thing started in September, God began to do things in this church that showed that there was going to be a war between those who want to serve God with legalism and not spirit versus those who want to believe in God for it all. And one of the first things we began to see was revival from sickness in the Rogers kids. Am I right? He gave you life from what used to be not looking good. And there's a series of things like that that's been going on. Folks are right around you. You have your testimonies here as well as in other places. Another one. Look over in Genesis 45. Sometimes we are revived from a, from a uh, discouragement time where your spirit is just discouraged. You just don't believe that it will ever be good again. And maybe the, the, the fond thing of your heart has been taken from you and you just don't think you can recover from that. That's a good one. You know, I was there five years ago. Wife dies. I found out it was true. The two shall become one. And the day she dies, I hear Mercy Me saying, I'm alive, even though a part of me has died. I felt it was the best part of me, my wife. So, from that is a revival. Well, I got one sitting right there. You know? Oh, yeah. And it was the same way for, for this guy. Genesis 45. It's about Jacob. Verse 25. They went up from, out of Egypt, his sons, and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph... Is still alive. And he is governor over the, all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. I saw a deal the other day. Uh, it was a movie or something like that. And all these good things were being told this person. And they didn't want, they weren't moving. They said, don't you want to believe this? And she said, only if it's true. No, I don't want to believe this if it's not true. It's like hope becomes your enemy. It's all amazing. He did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts, 
which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. The word revived. And he said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. And I will go and see him before I die. There's a revival. He thought he was dead. In fact, they convinced him that he was dead. And now there's there's what revival does. Revive me in trouble. Sometimes it means just to remain alive. You don't die. I look at that when I look at you. For all those over 50 that have lived your entire spiritual life in the wilderness, you are not dead. You kind of look like it sometimes. I would even dare say you smell like it. Not, <laughs> no. You're still doing it. Did you know that is the power of revival in you? God wouldn't let your sorry hide die. He kept feeding it and clothing it and giving it water. He just wouldn't let you die because he had not yet perfected that which concerns you. Amen? You had a lot left to go, and you weren't getting there in that wilderness, but you ain't done yet. Remain alive. Sometimes things kind of get destroyed, though. Revival connects with that as well. Look at Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah 4. This were brown driver bricks says, Restore to life that which has been dead or is dying or has been ruined. The dead, the dying, the ruined. That sounds like a Clint Eastwood movie. Good, bad, the ugly. Nehemiah 4, verse 1. It so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. There's a wall around Jerusalem. Restoring what had been destroyed. He was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the party in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? And here it is. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that have been burned. And here's what I got out of it. You know what, folks? We have been living in fire for a long time. To the point where, you know, we are crispy critters. And we are the building of the Lord. We are stones. Do you know that? We are the stones of of his temple. And we have been burned. Can they be revived? He says, yes. And they did. Revive is powerful. Here's another one. Isaiah 38. I'll preface this one with that apostle from Puerto Rico. I mean, the same day, the same week that I'm getting this dream, Russell's in the hospital with sepsis all over this place. The first day of of the new year, I get a phone call from Al. Hector had called him. His wife had had a heart attack and asked that we pray. He called back the next day. She had had another heart attack. And they were rushing her to surgery to fix her heart and asked that we would pray. 
she prayed and asked God to give her 15 more years. Okay, this is what's going on. I didn't know she'd ask that until later. But there's prayer going up. They go into the surgery, or they go to the surgery, and they run the test. There ain't nothing wrong with her heart at all. I mean, nothing. Okay? I would call that reviving. In fact, that's what this one's all about. Uh, reviving and restoring to health from imminent death. And I don't know that that word was in this chapter of Isaiah 38 because it talks about what she prayed, Hezekiah. Look at verse 4. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go tell Hezekiah. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. Now, let's just back up a little bit. Let's go down here the verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. Here we go. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember me now, O Lord, I pray. How I have walked before you in truth and with a royal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Jacob, your father, I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. Isn't that crazy? And this woman was praying the same thing. In verse 6, and look at verse 6. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Now, see, folks, what I'm telling you is that warfare is around this issue. It's not just your life that's going on in your life with God. The devil is trying to destroy you as well. The attacks are on. I mean, sometimes you don't know who's firing at you, God or the devil. Sometimes it's both. God's trying to take you away from the things you're doing, and Satan's trying to kill you. You're like Job. You really don't know where it's coming from. And it's both. So, he prayed, God answered his prayer, and promised him 15 years. Look down in verse 16. And Hezekiah is saying back to God, Oh Lord, by these things... Men live. And in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. And every one of those words live is revive, revive, revive. By these things we are revived. What things? The things that God has promised us. You really got to get a hold of that, folks. This is how you live. This is what makes you tick. This gives you purpose in life. This gives you a future and a hope. What he promises you. And God is not a man that he should lie. What he promises, he will also do it. He will perfect that which concerns you. What if it hasn't happened yet? By these things we live by his promises. 
But look at verse 17. Uh, well, in the, it was 16. So restore me and make me live. Indeed, verse 17. It was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. Now you gotta just stop. What the? What does that mean? For my own peace, for that reason, for me to gain peace, I had to deal with bitterness. And so here I found myself. I found myself right here. That in a time where God was trying to bring a revival to me, a promise of like a church, and a move of the Spirit, I am finding bitterness. It was crazy. I spent nights on the bed, not sleeping, because I was threatened by the promise. Did you hear that? I was threatened by the promise. And I found myself in a situation I hadn't been in a long time. Look with me to the very center of the Bible. The center scripture of the Bible. Psalms 118. Psalms 118, verses 8 and 9. That's, this is the center of the Bible. And it's interesting. I mean, you talk about amazing how God does these things. It is the center of the Bible, and it is the central theme of the Bible. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put trust in man or confidence. That's the centerpiece of the Bible. There's two words for trust in the Old Testament. They're both right there. The first one is the highest level of trust. It is the absolute trust. It is better to have the absolute trust in God than the next level of trust in any man, including me. Better. So... When we start talking about the things that God has for us, what it all finally comes down to, folks, is this. This is all about relationship. Bottom line, this whole thing that we are doing is about a relationship. You do know that the beginning of the story in the book of Genesis was about a marriage, right? And you do know that at the end of the book, it's about a wedding. It's a relationship that he's after. And there is nothing more fragile and and to the point in a relationship than trust. If you don't have it, you don't have a good relationship. Am I right? You ever violate trust in your marriage? Hard to recover from that. And if you don't give trust into the marriage, hard to have a good marriage. You just got islands living together. 
Am I right? And this is what God wants from us. Trust. And isn't it interesting that that seems to be so prevalent today in songs and stuff? All about trust and quit controlling. Right? They kind of go together. And it's also interesting to me that the one thing I hear coming out of the marriages from the men and the women is the men are saying this. She does not trust me or respect me. They kind of go together. Well, that silence on that one. Well, ladies, do you? You trust your husband? That means you don't control him, right? I mean, are you with me? And why would God even ask you to do that? Because you are modeling the bride and the bridegroom. You are, ladies, modeling the bride as he tries to model the bridegroom. And we're supposed to trust him. Thank you, one man. The rest of you. (laughs) It's crazy. Well, but we are all in the same boat when it comes to trusting God. The truth is, we don't trust God. And what I found, when all this stuff starts coming up with the promises, I was fine until he promised me something more. I was. Thought I could live out my years, love this church, I love our sanctuary. Things are cool. I got no problems. You got me a nice wife. She's kind of a babe, I think. She's nicer than I am. Shut up. So why do I need anything else? And the day I get home, within a week from getting home from Colorado, and this new Kronos, I get a call. Someone wants to sell you a church. The nicest place in Andrews. And I thought, wow, Susan and I went over there and looked at that thing. And we, we, we got inside that pavilion and we hugged each other and prayed. God, would you give us this? This seems too good for us. Would you do that? Really? You would do that? He did that. But as we got closer to that, it got worse for me. And man, all these thoughts. Oh my God. And let me just kind of read the things. I wrote it down and I just couldn't believe what was going on with me. As God moves again to restore and revive us, he is uncovering my damaged old areas. Where trust has not yet won over. Isn't that weird? The promise is my enemy. I am so bruised that as God moves and he continually whispers to me, just wait, have patience for what is obviously a nice thing and a blessing with warfare attached to it. 
I just collapse. And I, all I can do is remember the years of discouragement. <laughs> wow. And this part is what got me. I remember what it was like when I was young and how naive I really was with God. I just loved him. And I would do anything for him. I would go anywhere. I came to Andrews. I'm not from Andrews. I would go anywhere. I would do anything. What preach? I would not do things he didn't want me to do. Practice law. I just loved him. And I felt it was good. I mean, I, I know he loves me. And yet, over the years, that naivete, that absolute wonderful wonderment of falling in love has just been taking a beating. Kind of like marriage, huh? And so, in Jeremiah 15, turn there if you would, I ran into the scripture that speaks of this for me. The question is, is reviving for me? I don't trust him. And I don't know how to get through it. Jeremiah 15. This is the scripture <laughs> that got me. I merged my teaching on Psalm 138 with this scripture. As we close in on what God has for us, I think many of us are going to come to the place where I have been in verse 18. Why is my pain perpetual? And my wound incurable. This is a prophet speaking. Why is my pain perpetual, my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as waters that fail? The footnote to fail means cannot be trusted. Will you surely be to me like a stream and waters that cannot be trusted? And I'm not kidding you. The closer we got to this church thing, the worse it got. I thought, nah, you, you suckered me before making me believe in you and then to make a point, to train me, to disciple me, Teach me things. And I get all the good reasons. I'll tell you what. I've had enough of those good reasons. And I, you know, I've had enough of those good lessons. I got all the t-shirts. I get it. You're going to do it to me again, aren't you? The closer I got. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to just get up and go do something. Fix it. Go down to the NBA and tell him, let's just sign a contract right now. I'll give you money. You tell me how much. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't let me call. He wouldn't let me call anybody. 
It just made me seep in this thing. Why am I thinking this way? A good thing coming my way, and all I can think about is you'd set me up again. Right? So, that's how God redeems our lives. And crowns it with his loving kindness. He takes you to these places, folks. And then he begins to do stuff. He will begin to do stuff in your life to get your trust in him. He literally will try to win your trust. And that's good news. Okay? Look at over Psalms 80. There's one more deal about BDB that talks about revive. It literally talks about living a fullness of life in his divine favor. The fullness of life in his divine favor. And Psalms 80 speaks to it. It also speaks to our issue. What must we do? In verse 8, we're just going to show pick some of these verses. You look at the caption here. It is a prayer for Israel's restoration. So we're talking about restoring, reviving. And then look to the chief musician. It is set to the song, The Lilies. Does that ring a bell with any of you? The Lilies. That's about the song of Solomon. The Lilies. So this is a love song. And so, in it, he, the psalmist is, is remembering life that he's lived. In verse 8 he says, God, you brought out a vine out of Egypt. You cast out the nations and you planted it. And anytime you see this word vine, that's you. That's you. He brought you out of your dead state of Egypt and he planted you. Then in verse 12, he asked the question, so why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by pluck her fruit? You, you planted me? So why am I broken down and losing all the benefits that I had hoped for? Then verse 14 asks this question, return, we beseech you, O Lord God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this fire. I'm asking you to visit me. And then if you do, verse 18, revive us, give me a little life back, and I will call upon your name, restore me. Cause your face to shine upon me. All right. So what this revival is literally saying is I'm going to put you back into a divine state. Okay. The way you should have been. And you got to trust him to get there. Trust is what makes your heart okay. Did y'all hear that? You will be okay. I got to say this. I have literally changed from today over last week. I'm not the same now. Maybe because we're fixing to sign the deal. I don't know. You know, but 
Here's what happens with trust. Trust goes to the very essence of who you are. It's your hopes. It's more than hope, though. It's, it's that thing that God puts into you. Concerning relationship with him, doing your life with him. It's, it's all that you want. Okay? So it's the essence of why you live. And that's why it's so fragile. And like we see pictures of it. We see uh, uh, a prototype of it with marriage. And look how it ends, folks. I mean, we've all had the t-shirt of marriage, right? You get married, you get broken, don't you? Things don't go your way all the time. Do they ever? Especially at the beginning. When I was so naive, I just loved him and believed it would all be good. And the reality of it all begins to blow you away. There's much more than what you knew. So here's how trust works. He wants to come back and take you where your definition of how it's supposed to be is no longer soulish. You can't define it anymore. It becomes spiritual. He has to define it for you, and it will touch every part of you. All right? I had no idea the things that I really wanted. I thought I did, but I was wrong. And so what he does is Joel's army. He'll send his army, locusts, to destroy all the works of your soul so that he can come in with the Spirit and restore your life with what the Spirit wanted all along. Okay? So as he begins to move, and so like moving from this church to that church is just an example of the thing. He will begin to do things that will win back your trust. So like in marriage, if, if there was a problem in marriage, the one that was the, the bad guy has to do things along the way to kind of win back her trust or his trust. Am I right? The women all said, yeah. And then, they're not even close. I think 40 years in the desert, maybe might be enough. Maybe. But God will begin to do things along the way to help you begin to focus, hey, this could happen. But he's always out there a little bit, of, just a little bit beyond your reach. And there comes a moment where the other factors of God start kicking in. And here's one of the great themes of the Bible, other than trust. The just shall walk by faith. You'll never get away from that. Trust and faith are not the same issue. Trust is more from the heart. Faith is right there. You make a choice right there. And you begin to step out on what's before you and act like you believe it. So here's what God will do. He will take you down the, down the path a certain way. And then at some point, to get your full deliverance, healing, whatever it is is on the table, to get the complete deal, you have to add faith. He won't do it. You have to do it. Without faith, you cannot please God. I could go through a million scriptures about what faith does. 
But you will not get the things of God if you don't add faith. Amen? Now, get this. When Jesus came, what did he do? The wonderful works of God. Everywhere he went. Except there was one place. Capernaum. Was it Capernaum? His hometown, wherever he was. He could not do very many miracles there. You know why? Because of their unbelief. So everywhere he went, he looked for someone who just believed him. The Syrophoenician woman, the centurion, people, they they weren't even Jews. And they got what they asked God because their faith pulled it from him. And he always committed them for what great faith. The women had their kids raised from the dead. There were all kinds of stuff that went on because they believed. One of them just touched his garment as he walked by, got healed. He didn't even pray. Their faith triggered and their trust was made complete because of what they believed. That's where I think we need to go right now. Some of you just need to add your faith to what God is promising you. It may be a healing of your body. Things we're looking at right now, we got all kinds of stuff that's flying at us. Cancer, broken relationships, bad. You have to add your faith. Now, I got some good news for you. If you do that, God's going to visit your vine. He's going to restore you. He's going to win it. What about the rest of us? Here's some more good news. When Jesus came down from the mountain of transfiguration, I mean, he showed the fullness of what he was all about, his glory. He comes down to the valley, and there was a man there whose son was full of the demons. And the, the disciples who had been casting demons out all along could not even touch that deal. They asked him why they couldn't do it. He said, because your faith was not complete. And so he asked the man, I mean, we have a whole history. That where the faith was, miracles happened. This wasn't happening. So he asked the father of this boy, do you believe that I can do this? And this is where most people, I think, live. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Which one is dominating? I don't know. He had enough faith to bring him to Jesus. But he didn't have enough faith just to complete the deal. So did Jesus say, well, that's it. No many, no many body works here because that guy can't believe. Here's the good news. We can help one another and add the faith that is lacking in a person who's in the middle of the storm. Amen. Jesus provided the faith that day. Healed that boy. Now, here's my offer to you. I really believe that God has, uh, you know, has given me this to give to you. And I, I don't like the, girls, the guys at the gate, beautiful, uh, Peter and John. Silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I will give it to you. And he told that good lame guy to get up and walk. And he got up and walked. So, what I want to ask you to, if, if this is speaking to you, if you want prayer, if you have faith, we'll, we'll, we'll pray. If you don't have faith, 
I'm asking you to take what little faith you do have, like that father did. It just takes a mustard seed, people. That's all. Just a little bitty, bitty, bitty thing. And that's what I want to ask you to do to show that you have that type of faith. Please stand up. If you want prayer, I want to pray for you right now. If you have the little seed of faith, and if you have all the faith, if you want prayer, we're going to pray right now. Please understand that the end of this, the reason for this, is for your relationship with him to be healed and for you to trust God. Amen? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I am praying for these people, God. And I just want to say, God, it's you that does this. It's not man. So, in the name of Jesus, I'm I'm proclaiming before these people that the Spirit of God is here to cause you to walk with Him and trust in Him. Add your faith. Reach out your hand to Him and say, God, I believe you. And for those that can't say it, Father, I believe you for them. Move by your Spirit and let these people know you are here for them. That's why you came. For that person Every single one of them, let them have their moment of moving forward in this kingdom and in this new chronos of the fullness of the Spirit and the wonderful works of God in them and in their relationships, in their finances, and in their health. Do it for your own glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Y'all get it? It's there, folks. Don't let Satan steal it. Let pleasant words come out of your mouth. Let words of truth and faith come out of your mouth. And nothing but that. Amen? If you ain't got nothing else to say, shut up. Seriously, this is serious before the Lord. By your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. Don't speak unbelief. Go, Chiefs.